Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Tom Douglas, and we are here at the Pacific Marine Expo down here by the football and baseball stadiums. I guess it's also a, a soccer stadium, too, isn't it? Forget that, Terry. <laughs> Absolutely. That's probably what you know the most down here is That's right. soccer. I'm Tom Douglas, uh, chef owner of a few joints around town, including Serious Pie. Uh, Dahlia Bakery is back open. Lola opened a couple of weeks ago. Where I had breakfast there this morning, a beautiful maple sausage with a little eggs benedict. Because I had to, I had to have breakfast because I went to work out for an hour beforehand. And I you went to work out? Yeah, it was like my reward for working out. Oh, you got caught. It was the weirdest thing after working out after 19 months. I went to find my gym bag. You know, because my trainer. Sure. Yeah, I went to find my gym. It's exactly where I left it 19 <laughs> months ago. Never touched it for 19 months. <laughs> Dusty and everything. <laughs> exactly. Also, Serious Pie Ballard is open and Seatown Restaurant down in the north end of the Pike Place Market. If you're making a trek with some friends uh, or some guests in town, hey, don't forget uh, the Carlisle. Come down and visit us uh, at the at the Seatown. And Carlisle, of course, is open. Uh, we opened back in August there when the theaters open. We yeah. do the theaters concessions. So. Yeah, come out and see us. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in a hat, uh, on the run and on the go. How's that? On the run and on the go. And you're just about ready to, uh, your little place at the airport's about ready to open, right, well, Lulu? Yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're working on the uh, details right now. Oh, uh, okay. It just opened, uh, you know, as a training ground, but uh, this weekend's going to be extremely busy, obviously. People are starting to travel for the holiday, so we're working the kinks out and trying to get it going. You know, before Thanksgiving. Before Thanksgiving. Wow! Good luck on that one. <laughs> we have a large show for you today. If you are a frequent listener to our radio show, we are here every year at Pacific Marine Expo, and we are excited to have uh, uh, so many. Uh, people of the industry here that's very important to the Northwest. Of course, it's national. We have National uh, Seafood Magazine here, the National Fisherman. But it's a very important industry for Seattleites, for Alaskans, for the, you know, 50% or more of all seafood in America comes from Alaska. So it's important that we get going yeah. on all of these things. The fishery so. and the fish business in Seattle or in the Northwest is definitely one of the prime job we have around here. So it is very important to listen and to uh, supply it. All right, so we're going to talk to lots of different people today about uh, the marine fishing situation. And then uh, also, Terry, it's time for our Taste of the Week. Uh, have you, you know, I was not in town for last week's show, the first show I've missed in years, honestly. Uh, I was very nervous for you guys. You and Pamela did the show. Did it come out okay? I think, I think we came out very fine. We, we really we, fine? I think we did okay. Okay, I mean, good. You know, it's, it's funny how... It's really true. It's missing. When, when you're not there, it's missing. It's true. missing, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so you want to know what my taste duo, of the week is? Uh, I cooked early Thanksgiving for my mother right? and my sisters. I, all my sisters and my brother were back there, back east. Big family. Big family. We have an early Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving itself is too crazy. Right. So I cooked early Thanksgiving, and uh, we had to put a ham with the turkey because there were too many people. And we ate in the garage because I have a, a nephew that refuses to get vaccinated. And, no. And, uh, um, and a niece, who've, but they're also very pregnant, and so but they so my mother wanted them at the party, so we s- set up the garage and opened the garage doors in the middle of a windy, rainy storm to have turkey and ham in the garage with twenty-seven people. My mom has a big garage. Anyway, we had leftover ham, yeah. and one of the things I remember from my childhood is ham on buttered white 
bread toast with a little Heinz chili sauce. And, that, and, so and that's that, really, that's that going to be your taste of the week? Well, here's the interesting part about that. I went to the fridge to get the chili sauce out of the fridge, and I looked at, ex- at the expiration date, and there was only like a half inch left in the bottom of the bottle. It was from 2009, and it, my mother is famous for never throwing anything away. <laughs> she puts a new and meaning so to rationing. Jackie, my wife, looks at me and says, you're not going to eat that, are you? And I said, hell yeah, I'm going to eat that. And I put the last of the chili sauce on my sandwich, and they just watched me eat it to see if I was going to fall over dead. And guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Of course not. It was a delicious... Uh, it's so spicy, so hot. It's and not so that tight. hot. It's not that hot. It's Heinz chili sauce. It's like sugar ketchup. Like, yeah. yeah. That stuff it's is like ketchup with pickle relish in it. It won't go bad. Well, No, it didn't. It was quite delicious. <laughs> 11 years expired. But I got to throw away the jar finally. <laughs> How about your taste of the week? Uh, Kathy made a wonderful chicken curry this week. It's, um, we had one in California, and uh, or a sample in California as a veg idea, but this time she put chicken with it, chicken, rice, um, beautiful squash, and uh, curry yogurt uh-huh. with turmeric. Uh-huh. And um, it was fantastic. I don't eat Indian food enough. It just reminded me that I need to go try Indian restaurant around the city because... I don't eat Indian food very often, and, and that was really, really beautiful and fresh and reminiscing pomegranate seeds on top, mm-hmm. you know, that we brought from California, from mm-hmm. my mother-in-law's yard. A pomegranate tree, yeah, huh? Yeah, she very has a nice. pomegranate tree, and she has lemon tree. We brought a bunch of lemon, too. That was... Mm. Mm. Are you allowed to transport fresh produce across straight You know, I did not ask. <laughs> and you just said that on a national radio show. Yes, I did. Yes. I did not ask. But by the way, so everybody's <laughs> clear... Yeah, they're all gone. <laughs> the police are on their way. <laughs> By the way, they're gone. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. But, uh, a good chicken curry was, I mean, I thought, I thought, you know, whole chicken broken down, see all the pieces, add the curry, you know, finish the rice around it, finish the rice, and then put the chicken in the rice, and let it covered and stew like this. Uh-huh. That was really, really It's almost delicious. like a biryani. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. It, it was really, really delicious. You, you know where I have show. Indian food probably the most is that place up on in Northgate called the Saffron Grill. I've heard of the place. Yeah, it's nice. It's family kind of place, and right. it's nice. I sit at the bar. I'm the only guy sitting at the bar, the only guy in the whole restaurant drinking wine. So I drink <laughs> enough for everyone <laughs> just to make myself more comfortable. <laughs> okay. Up next, Bob Callahan is here. He's the group vice president of Diversified Communications, and he's the guy who's putting on this amazing uh, show here, the Pacific Marine Expo, yeah. down here in the uh, Soto Lumens, area. Lumens Field. It's still Soto to me. It's still South Dome. Oh, it is Soto. Why not? It's, we're probably on the Dome site itself. Uh, it's Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the uh, Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. My name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotoro, the chef in the hat. The good news is we're at Pacific Marine Expo down here in the South Dome area. What is the new name of our field here? Lumens. Lumen Field. Lumen, Lumen Field. The bad news is we are sitting in the most uncomfortable chairs in history. <laughs> and my guess is, Bob, that you had to pay a lot of money to the... To the the event rental company for these chairs. <laughs> like everything else, everything's going up. Everything's so. going up. Everything's going uh, up. We're talking with Bob Callahan. He's the group vice president of Diversified Communications. And I got to say, this is my first trade show uh, post COVID. Yeah. And, you know, you, you wondered when things were going sideways and everything was being canceled, including this show last year, uh, were they ever going to come back? 
Right. It's been an interesting and long two years, but uh-huh. we are back. Uh, you can sense the energy on the show floor right now, mm-hmm. and it's just amazing. Everyone, People are just generally glad to give a hug, or shake someone's hand, mm-hmm. and, and just and catch, then, catch And then up. use some cleaner. Absolutely. <laughs> Pretty much every booth has a, has a hand sanitizer. Yeah, right exactly. You know, uh, the seafood industry, and I'm talking about the in- industry side of it, right? The catching of the fish, the shipping, the the boats, you know, all of, all of that is such an important part of our economy here in the Northwest. Uh, if you don't believe it, go out and look at Fisherman's Terminal or Pier 91 or even all the way up to Anacortes and, and that whole process up there. How do you get them all together here? I mean, this is an important show for those folks. Right, and that, that's what a, a trade show is all about. It's just bringing you know, thousands of people together in, under one roof on, in three days so they can see a product, touch, you know, touch mm-hmm. a product, experience it, lo- learn who they're buying the product from, and then they go back. You know, you, we'll, we'll have fishing crews walk around together on the show floor. And they're literally, you know, sizing up a, a manufacturer, they're sizing up the product, and then they get together and they decide if they're going to buy it and purchase it for their boat. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, and, and it's a festive atmosphere, too. Does it to have do to it. be for their boat? Because Pamela and I were walking the show before we got started here at, our, at the booth that we're at, and she saw a giant Cummins engine that she thinks would be great lawn decor. It would be, it'd be like a bird bath or something like that. Is that okay? Can you? It would be a nice what, what would that? What would that bird bath cost? <laughs> More than my paycheck. More than my paycheck. <laughs> okay. All right. But they actually, uh, you know, we also have commercial operators too. We have the, the ferries operators come to the event and they're looking at engines and they're looking at the latest in marine electronics and, and things like that. So it's uh-huh. not just commercial fishermen that come to Pacific Marine Expo. Uh, when I was out, uh, Jerry, I don't know if you've looked for a boat lately, but boats are hard to get right now. Right. And I saw a survival inner tube over there that looked really yes. fun, like maybe I would take it up on Snoqualmie Pass or something, right, with eight of your closest friends. I wouldn't want to be in the water with it, even though I think that's what it's intended for, but it looked like it'd be really fun to have a group ride down Snoqualmie Pass. <laughs> they do look comfortable, and, and uh, marine safety is a big component of it's this It's huge. Right, yeah. and, and we had a session yesterday on on uh, safety, and it was just jam packed. The, the the seats were all filled up, mm-hmm. and that's what the fishermen are here to to learn and to protect their crew and protect their you know their livelihood as they go out to sea. Right. Uh, it's um, if you ever want to understand the emotion behind that, go out to Fisherman's Terminal, go to the uh, go to the monument there, uh, memorial there for the fishermen lost at sea, and you know they they have to take it seriously. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's a great it's a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon. You know, go stroll through the the whole neighborhood in Ballard, and you know, go through that, go through the locks, and you know, it's a great place to bring people from out of town. It's a great place to go revisit once every few years as a local. Just to see, you know, this is a serious industry that we don't actually see a lot of in Seattle. Even though we're on the waterfront, there's only a few places where you, those boats come in. Right, you right. Know, and, and because of that, it's, it's often out of the mind, you know. But it's a huge industry and, and so close to Alaska for so, us. So close to Alaska. And a good portion of our attendance is from Alaska. So, we, you know, you'll see on the floor today these beautiful Alaskan fishing families. The husband, the wife, the children, they're all working the boat. They're on the floor looking at product. And it's just a, it's a great thing to see. Right. 
No, it's cool. We, we get some of those fishermen that call us. You know, they're up there working it, and they're trying to figure out how they get a little bit more of the money of, from the process instead of it all going to middlemen to get, you know, by the time they catch it and it gets into my kitchen, you know, and into my customers' bellies, you know, there's a lot of money. Like a, they might get a dollar a pound for that fish or maybe, and then by the time I'm selling it to the final consumer, you know, a six ounce portion is going for thirty five dollars. So they they're always trying to figure out how to get a little bit closer to the middle of that uh, financial picture. And so we we hear from a lot of those fishermen trying to to sell their own catch and to start a little start a little business. Right, they're doing a much better job marketing themselves, and mm-hmm. so you, you'll see it's a new it's a trend. It's a direct to consumer is mm-hmm. is very big. And these young fishermen are coming in. They're sophisticated in, in their marketing efforts and they, their digital capacity. And they're, they're, they're going out. They're selling to the middleman. They're selling to the end user. They're selling to whoever they wants to buy their, their catch. Exactly. So what's the hot thing this year? Is it, is there like, is it like the food trade shows where like uh, <laughs> malted vinegars are really hot this year or enrobed chili pepper chocolates or you know the, every year at the fancy food show yeah. there's some hot kind of grouping of product is there is there such a thing at the marine expo is there a hot type of engine out there or, or i think what i would be looking at is air jet propulsion instead of a instead of a big a big engine right right we have a, a couple of sessions on on you know and clean energy production mm-hmm. and clean energy uh, engines. So you're seeing more and more of that, those, that type of technology come out. Hybrid engines. You know, the battery power is getting stronger. So you're seeing that that as mm-hmm. as well. But I would say the main the main focus this year is just everybody getting back together. Yeah. It's just right. it's just a. That's what this is all about. That's what I look forward to for two years. And to see it happening now, um, my, my team is elated. I'm elated. You know, it's just, it's great. It's a great vibe, great environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chef Terry, I w- it didn't pass by me. It didn't, it, it occurred to me that here we are, two fairly accomplished chefs invited to a place that really their whole business is about catching fish right and they didn't even for one minute ask us to cook so what do you what do you terry how do you feel about that i'm wondering if they really catch fish that's what i'm wondering about i want to get to the bottom of this so you think they're like keith robbins and they don't really catch anything they just have a i think they're just talking about it and they have uh, you know they have nice, nice brochure though. Those I took it kind of personally. I took it kind of personally that they would invite us all the way down here, but didn't want to eat our food. Yeah, I mean, uh, we need to uh, rework our skills, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, we suck at advertising ourselves. Bob, so <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that? Hey, I'm, you just by sitting here the last ten minutes, I'm getting hungry or listening to you guys talk about food. So I'm, I'm yeah. on board. So well, now you're feeling short, right? Like, yeah. uh, God, I mean, we could have a grill set up on front, a little exactly. salmon barbecue. I like it. I like yeah, it. we're very inexpensive talent. We'll have this afternoon. This this area will be be a happy hour. So complimentary yeah, after beer we're gone. Oh, after, after we're gone. gone. Yeah, nice. that's awesome. But, um, I'll, Thanks we'll have for that, the team Bob. run out and grab a grill, and you guys can set up shop yeah, outside. Great. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. they thought we were going to drink the happy hour. That's the problem. Well, congratulations on your show. It's looking fabulous. We can hear the energy building in the room uh, as the afternoon uh, starts to take place. And we're excited for you. And congrats. Well, maybe we'll see you here next year. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. 
And, um, you know, next year I'm just going to bring my truck with my grill in the back, whether they like it or not. We're just going to do a get-up party? Yeah, I'm going to fire up some applewood, and we're going to get out some Bristol Bay sockeye. There you go. And then we're going to uh, we're going to make some cash. We're going to make some money for the food bank next year. We're going to do a little barbecue. Let's do it. Come on. Do come on. Yeah, let's make Food some Food needs us. Thank you, Bob Callahan. He's the vice president of Diversified Communications, and he's the one who purposely did not invite us to cook at the show. <laughs> um, we are down at Pacific Marine Expo. we got more and more and more to go right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show, coming to you from the Pacific Marine Expo uh, down here at Lumen Field Events Center. If you are not familiar with it now with the new name, it's where Taste Washington was every year. Remember That's they right. brought in all the, right. all the oak barrels and uh, had hundreds of wineries and about 50 restaurant tours you down here you cooking. You can also make it simpler. It's where the Seahawks play. No, no, no. That's Lumen Field. This right. is the event center well, to, the, right next to the to south me. of it. It's part yes. of the same building. Yes. Whatever, chef. I'm Tom Douglas. <laughs> and I'm Terry Rotterro, the chef in the hat. And we're welcoming Jess Hathaway to the hot seat here at the Hot Stove Society booth. She's the editor-in-chief of National Fisherman and is moderating a panel at 1120. Why are you with us right now? <laughs> I had someone else do it. Good job. Way to, way to delegate, Jess. <laughs> I also don't believe in expiration dates. Uh, <laughs> is that true? What's the, what's the oldest thing you've ever eaten past the expiration date? I'm going to be honest. I don't even look. You don't even look? No. So you could have had a can of tuna that was from the prehistoric ages. Yeah. Well, when, however long they've been canning tuna, I right. it. I don't think it really goes bad. No. I, I think it's... I mean, the date is made so then, again, it's a, it's a liability question. Yeah. It's not necessarily a, a life question. Like, I mean, you People could, are just shaking their heads at us right now. So if the can is bloated or, and it looks like it's right. ready to explode, no, then probably don't eat it. Right. That's, that's a, <laughs> not probably. Don't eat it. <laughs> don't eat it. <laughs> so just tell us about uh, the National Fishermen, and you're based out of Maine, so maybe give us a little update on the East Coast, what's going on in the fishing world, the hot brands, the, uh, what people are doing to be more sustainable. We talked a little bit about with Bob about uh, the new... Um, Electric engines and things like that to try and be cleaner out there. So tell us what's happening. You you review all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, actually, the panel that I was supposed to be moderating right now that is happening on the show floor right now is about recycling gear and huh. using old ocean, you know, things that would become ocean plastics mm-hmm. to yeah. repurpose them into new gear or you know wearables and backpacks, all that stuff. And there's there's a lot of that happening in the industry right now because fishermen are really interested and making sure that the ocean is clean. You know, it's a great idea. I think it's a fabulous idea to take those, those plastic and recycle them and use it in fishery. I mean, that, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. It's a, it's a very cool idea. The, the nets in the ocean, are not, that kind of makes me crazy. Right. The, the nets left in right. the ocean and stuff. That's, uh, but there I mean, is, it could be like a four-mile net. It all of a sudden you just cut off and it's gone, right? Right, so, right. You can't be doing that kind of nonsense. No. Okay, let's talk about more positive things, Jess. Yeah. Um, halibut. Salmon. Yeah. What's uh, what are the, what should we be eating these days, and, and what's being caught efficiently and and uh, 
give us the rundown. Well, my standard is that if it's a U.S. domestic wild product, then it's being managed for sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's safe to eat and a good thing to eat. And we should all be eating more seafood. Um, there's a lot of data that pescatarian diet is the healthiest diet that you can be on. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm an omnivore, so I eat everything. Right. But I do love fish. And I eat. I had halibut last night. I love mm. being able to come out here and have the West Coast halibut because I have it on the East Coast, too. Back there, they call it turbo, right? Or the, maybe in Europe, they call it turbo. No, in, in, yeah, in Europe, we have turbo. It's actually yeah. a little bit different fish, but... Similar. I mean, uh-huh. it looks it looks very similar. What do you call halibut on the on the East Coast? Halibut. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you call it just with a different accent, with a Boston accent. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, I like that. Uh, halibut. Uh, what other fisheries are happening up in the Northeast? I heard that scallops are in trouble up there. Well, honestly, the fisheries that are in the most trouble is because of resources and access to the ocean. I mean, right now, um, fishermen are fighting with uh, two juggernauts of offshore wind and large-scale aquaculture, and that is really affecting their fishing grounds, access to fishing grounds, mm-hmm. and, and that's going to be a problem that we're going to be watching for, for several years to come. And the other issue right now, honestly, the pandemic has driven up um, property values, so mm-hmm. waterfront access is becoming increasing. I mean, it's always been a problem, mm-hmm. but extremely valuable waterfront property being designated to working waterfronts is, is going to is definitely a problem now, and I don't see that problem going away anytime mm-hmm. soon. Like, for example, what, to explain what that means, uh, waterfront access, it sounds like, well, don't you have a dock or something like that? But, like, for, if you look around South Sound, a lot of the beaches that you see in front of private homes are all leased to people like Taylor Shellfish or something to grow yeah. gooey ducks on or to have an oyster farm on or, or people lease their land to be picked for f- fresh oysters. Is yeah. that the same way it is on the East Coast? There's definitely some of that, and, and it's increasing. Um, I, a lot of the aquaculture for bivalves in, on the East Coast is in the water. Mm. So, But the, when I talk about waterfront access, I'm really talking about infrastructure. You okay. know, you need to have a place where you can offload, where you can get ice, where you can start your boat in the morning without people complaining that it's noisy or right. it smells you, like diesel. Yeah, you can't be next door to someone's house. Right. Which but, is part of why they didn't... That's the case in many, many parts of the country, right, especially, right. you know, in the Gulf Coast. That's a It's big part of why they never, never wanted... Uh, uh, regular boats at Fisherman's Terminal here in Seattle because that's it's it was fishing boats and that's what they do right right and that's one of the reasons that we love coming here Fisherman's mm-hmm. Terminal is a unique place in mm-hmm. this country mm-hmm. for its size right yeah right in the middle of downtown I mean that's like I mean Ballard is like downtown so it it is very uncommon to have that much of a f- kind of homemade farming in the middle of the mm-hmm. Of the city, that's pretty rare. Yeah. Even yeah. Noah, even Noah used to be based out of Lake Union. There, I know yeah. they moved to Oregon, but um, that, that was having those big ships go through the canals. That uh, was awesome. Yeah. Climate change—that's uh, still something that is out there. I don't know how our fishermen's—they they probably are on the front edge of climate change. Yeah, they absolutely. see it happening every day. Yeah. Uh, what are you guys thinking about it from a national fisherman perspective? Well, for us, it's 
Um, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a management issue because of the way that we've sectioned off uh, fish access by quotas. It doesn't give fishermen the flexibility to move from fishery to fishery. So when fish species shift, mm. the fishermen don't go with them. So they need to be able to shift their efforts to whatever is coming in. Mm-hmm. So it's um, almost like monocropping in some ways of like, yeah. the guy who's growing carrots cannot have broccoli. <laughs> right. Yeah. And wow, if he that is, that grows is interesting. Carrots, I never life. thought about it that way. Yeah. It's, That's a serious issue. Well, it's different yeah. rigging, too, on your boats. And, you know, it's sometimes even a different boat to, to go gill netting compared to going trolling or, you know, something of that nature. Right, so. but I'm right. sure there is some crossover they could use. Yes, and gear you can switch out. And right. you can even buy or, you know, go in with someone else on a new boat. Um Although that's getting, you know, the pandemic is causing supply chain issues. So re-rigging and, and changing out your gear or making modifications is increasingly difficult. But it's actually the cost of getting into a fishery, buying quota for a fish. Mm-hmm. If it's a quota-based fishery, is it's not practical anymore. Right. And is that still how it's done? It's like a taxi medallion? You still buy into a quota? Well, it depends on the fishery. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh-huh. there are a lot, of, a lot of fisheries that are managed that way. Hmm. Interesting. Is it in the process of getting changed? Do you think there is some ways to change it, even though it's an old system? It's less of a priority right uh, now yeah. to manage fisheries that way. But I don't think the ones that are quota-based are going to change anytime soon. Hmm. Let's jump into Pebble pebble uh, yeah. mind for a minute uh, things have changed a bit uh, yeah. and i will give credit to mr trump for not letting it happen yeah. on his watch yeah. he, even though he didn't in the beginning didn't do much to help yeah. the situation well, he opened the door and then he closed the door yeah he opened <laughs> the door and then he closed it yeah and, and so it looks like mr biden is taking that closed door and trying to shut it permanently mm-hmm. which would be awesome but mr obama tried or was offered that opportunity and never got it done right uh so do you think there's a chance that mr biden will get it done yeah i am really happy to report that we look like we could close this loop by May of next year. So that oh, wow. is the new news out of the EPA. They created Forever? a timeline. Fingers crossed. So nothing. Never say never. But. Yeah, never say never. Yeah, just but just in the bag, yeah. just in case. Yeah, the important thing is to get it done as soon as possible, is to keep it on that timeline and to keep pushing it forward so we can really close that loop and finally get those 404C protections through the EPA and the Clean Water mm-hmm. Act. And if we can do that by May of next year, then that gives us a buffer, you know, before there's a potential changing of the guard at the mm-hmm. EPA to resolve any lawsuits that come out of that. This is funny decision. how it took so long. So funny. Long to, huh? <laughs> I mean, that's, I yeah. started before you were born. I know that. <laughs> and then it's still in the run. I'm like, you know, It'll still, be, ne- Terry, still negotiating. It's been agonizing. Don't be naive. This is going to go on for the rest of our lives right. and our children's yeah. lives. Yeah. This, well, is, this is a fight that has to be, you have to be diligent forever. Correct? Absolutely. Because there's a lot of money in the ground there, right? right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And yeah. that's a, that came up at our conference yesterday. And another thing that we have to consider is that this would protect the region from resource extraction specific to mining. So there are other projects that could come up that could threaten salmon habitat. Right, right, right. right. Well, thanks so much, Jess, yeah, for being you. here and sharing what's uh, happening on the front lines of the National Fishermen's Association and magazine. And you you're on, have your finger on the pulse. Yeah, well, thank you guys. Thanks so much for having us and being here today. Yeah, Pleasure. actually. If keep you ever want to, it's, a, it's mainly a trade magazine, but if you ever want to read it, people can just look at it online, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have an app now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. Go check it out. Check out Jess's work. 
Up next, Susan Marks is here. She's the Sustainability Certification Advisor for the ASME, the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute. And we'll be right back to chat with her on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And we're coming to you today, as we do every year, from the Pacific Meat Marine Expo down here in Lumen Events Center. I think that's the official name of the place. It's actually fun to be back because we actually were not here last year, obviously, due to COVID and Mm -hmm. the year before as well. So it's nice. It's nice to be back and it's nice to see the excitement and... Everybody well, seems well, to be happy. It's very different than the boat show. I've, I've walked the boat show, right? Which and sometimes people get that confused. The boat show is a bunch of fancy yachts and right. you know little dinghies, and but they're all just residential boats. Whereas this is all about fishing, right? Which, in a funny way, I know nothing about. Correct. You know, I don't know about these little safety gears that they have and all that kind of stuff that they have for the boat. I walk by one one company is called the Fluid Company, and it's all about <laughs> hydraulic fluid. It's like, who knew, right? Oh, I thought they were selling water. <laughs> yeah, I know. So uh, there's engines over there the size of my house, yeah. the size of Pamela's yard. She wants to put one in her yard. <laughs> I think uh, she found out about the price tag. <laughs> it's painted red, and it's $250,000, and she said, I want one. So there's so much going on around here that it's it's really fun. You can buy boat insurance for your fishing boat. There's a guy over here who likes to grind in the middle of our show. He's grinding something. Yeah. Propellers, I think. He's grinding <laughs> propellers. So, anyway, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, we're joined by Susan Marks. She is the certi- uh, Sustainability Certification Advisor for Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute, which I have known for many, many years as ASME. Mm-hmm. And we have done a few things with them in the past, uh, including going up. And I went fishing with ASME up there uh, on a boat. Uh, I don't remember where, though. It was... <laughs> Somewhere up there. In Alaska? Up there. In, yeah, in Alaska. Okay, it's a at big least, state, at least you yeah. get the state right. Yeah. I hope so, you caught something. Uh, you know, uh, it was super sad for me because I've been out on many fishing boats and never really caught anything. And there, and I thought, okay, I'm in a professional situation. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to catch fish. There were fish on the line before I could even throw it off off the boat. There's so many fish up there. And so I, it, did, it didn't feel right. <laughs> you, you thought there was a guy underneath just feeding yeah, your line? Putting, hooking on. Because I would, you know, you put it down. They say, we're going to go down like halfway to the bottom or something like that. And we're going to fish. And before you can even tell me what we're fishing for, there was a fish on the line. And I had to start pulling it up. So, And what was it you fished? I got everything. I got Alaska cod, halibut, salmon. I got everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. That's, That's fun. So as a marketing person, you should love that story. I love it. <laughs> Tell us about what your job is and, uh, and uh, how you market seafood to restaurants and grocery stores and, and big club stores and things like that throughout the country and the world. Sure. Well, part of, I mean... The, the main part of what Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute, or ASME, as we're more commonly known, we work with retailers and food service companies and restaurants like yourself mm-hmm. to build promotions, basically to get people to eat more seafood, because that's the mission of ASME. We want to increase the consumption and economic value of Alaska seafood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we want to meet people where they're at so you know some people eat a little bit of seafood some people eat a lot and there's others who maybe haven't tried it so we want to build promotions that um, talk about the great attributes of Alaska seafood which there are many and uh, get people to try it and you know once they try it taste is 
everything. Yeah, that's not hard to Pretty get them back to once they try it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, what, what are the basis of uh, of of the criteria? What are you requiring for something to be with your label on it or your approval? For the Alaska Seafood logo. Correct. Well, no, your sustainability. No, no, no. Oh. Uh, okay, so yeah. there's the Alaska Seafood logo, which is like an origin logo. Right, but right. I think you're talking about the certification. Correct, the certification. Right. So most of the fisheries in Alaska hold certification. Um, we actually are, they hold dual certifications right. with the which Marine Stewardship Council and the Regional Alaska Responsible Fisheries Management. Okay. So in order to do that, uh, a fishery has to go through a rigorous a independent third-party audit. That's a really important part because, you know, it's you don't want Alaska grading our own papers. <laughs> um, we, we know our seafood's sustainable, but having certification is an independent verification that we're doing what we say we're doing. So that happens um, once a fishery is certified. That certification is good for five years with annual audits mm-hmm. required. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think th- there's always that question about who's the, which is the most trustworthy certification. That's why I like the dual. Is that there, it's not you're not depending on one, right? Right. So. Right. Choice is important mm-hmm. um, in anything. So yes. I'm partial to the Alaska Responsible Fisheries Management certification uh, because that logo does two things. Um, It shows the origin and we're very proud of our seafood in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So if we if something's going to carry a certification logo, we want it to call out the origin. So that logo does that. And we also don't charge a logo license fee to use that logo. So it's free so who, to use. Who, so who pays for your certification then? Is that a government or part of the... Uh, the Right. Great question. Ask me or who pays for that? Great question. So uh, when a fishery becomes certified, there's a client group that forms that represents that fishery. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on what fishery it is. But they they pay the independent certification body, and then the fishery is certified. And then they might have some sort of a, a... business model that by which they charge you know companies to buy into the certificate and then i I also want to mention that the supply chain is also certified because it's important for traceability purposes you know once the seafood is landed from the first point of landing as you you know it may go through multiple hands before it gets to the plate or in um you know a consumer packaging Mm -hmm. so every company in the supply chain also has to be certified for yeah you want to make sure they don't destroy your product or, you know, um, mislabel or yeah. co-mix mm-hmm. uh, certified seafood with non-certified seafood. So that chain of custody certification is very important for that. Yeah, super interesting because for so long everything was being caught in Alaska and then shipped to Asia to be processed and then coming back as American seafood. And it's like uh, you just don't have a clue where it's going right. and coming. And But, but now that- that's different. It is, but I do want to say that that processor over in China would have also been certified for mm-hmm. chain of custody. Mm-hmm. So that unique um, chain of custody number follows that seafood through the supply chain. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's that's that was a loop that wasn't closed before, it seemed like to me. So It's very cool. And then, and then the state of Alaska having that as part of their constitution. Our constitution, <laughs> right. We are the only state in the United States that has conservation language in our in our constitution when we became a state in 1959 and it's it's something to be very proud of with that though sustainability looks a lot different now than it did in 1959 mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the state has ha- has evolved with that so 
that's the foundation, our constitution. Right. But now when we talk about sustainability, we talk about it in the context of five different pillars. Um, fisheries management is what underpins everything. We mm-hmm. wouldn't be here talking if we didn't have a strong, robust fisheries management system in Alaska. Right. Um, but then the other pillars are social responsibility mm-hmm. because environmental is important, but the social and labor practices are also important. Uh, the full utilization of the resource and families and communities, and then finally certification. That makes up the five pillars. Right. So cool that it's being done. I appreciate your efforts in that yeah. area, and I'm glad that ASME is being part of that, right? Because without the marketing group on board, without the fishermen on board, you've got inner fighting, and it doesn't work. So I would imagine ASME probably taxes every pound that comes out a certain amount to market Alaska seafood, I would think. They have a little, don't they get a few pennies but- a pound for... There's an assessment, assessment. Tax same on idea. the yeah. seafood yeah. that's landed. Yeah, yes. exactly. So and it's good that everyone's on the same team. Right. And we work for the industry. Right. So we don't represent any one brand. We represent the seafood itself. And, right. You know, ASME has offices in nine countries and 36 regions worldwide. So we are taking Alaska seafood out globally. Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Oh, good and I, may I say that sure. we're also celebrating 40 years this year. Really? Whoa. Yes. Congratulations. I you were started before I was born. That's amazing to me. Congrats. And a half. Susan Marks has been with us. Uh, she's the Sustainability Certification Advisor for the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for Keep having Keep up me. the good work. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much. When we come back, Chris Woodley's here. We're looking forward to that. Director of uh, Groundfish Forum on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, and we're back. Thank you for uh, hanging with us here on Cairo Radio. It's Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And we're coming to you live from Pacific Marine Expo. If it sounds a little different out there, it is a little different. Uh, it's alive. It's alive. It's after 19 months. We're actually out in public. I know. First time. I mean, I, I, of course, we've been out in public at our restaurants yeah, and stuff, but this feels different. Yeah. I mean, it feels First a little bit event. like going to, uh, like I went to the opera a couple of weeks ago or going to a baseball game. It feels right. like that a little right. bit. More right. people that you don't know. That's right. Um, I'm sorry to break the news to you now, but it, the flash just came across uh, our producer's table that Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, uh, including the turkey rub, just in time for Thanksgiving, has been axed for the day because she. Had to go to bed early last night. I guess she is getting, guess, she's getting older, and do. she had to go to bed a little bit early last night, <laughs> and didn't get the questions prepared for today's show, which is unlike her. Um, yeah, because usually when we have a theme like we have today, which is like a fishing industry, Fish? and, I mean that would have been all easy. That kind of good stuff. It seems like it would have been easy for her to get together a few questions for you and I, Terry. Yeah, uh, but we don't have it, and so if you want to turn the radios off now, I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> wait, we, wait. Are, we should at least. Oh, wait for the wait Chris. for the rest of this hour. Yeah, wait for Chris Woodley. Is that a, is that that was, a, that was a nice whiny one. I like it. It was a nice whiny one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Chris Woodley is here. He's the executive director of the Groundfish Forum, uh, which represents five member companies that operate nineteen trawl catcher processor ves- vessels uh, in the federally managed fisheries of the Bering Sea, Aleutian Islands, and the Gulf of Alaska. That sounds like a big job, Chris. It is a huge job. Oh, let me scoot in here a little bit more. How about that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So. Um, 
it is a huge job. Uh, you know, we're we're one of the fisheries in Alaska or uh, that work in Alaska that people just don't see a lot of down here mm-hmm. because we're operating um, up in Alaska from January through about this time of year through about November. Then the boats all come back down and go through their shipyard and maintenance periods down here. So if you if you happen to be out on Lake Union right now and you you you'll see these you know these these larger boats that are getting worked on, um, you know our operations support the you know the large uh, maritime uh, industry sector that's here with all the you know all these different vendors and these different groups um that are here at the show today so yeah it's uh it's you know i mean seafood is big in in seattle and and we're part of that we're one of the many fleets but we're we're one of the ones that people don't know a lot about Uh and so is it safe to say uh that the products your fleet catches uh, mostly end up in prepared products, like you know, if you go have a McFish at McDonald's, or if you go have Long John Silver's fish and chips, or a Mrs. Paul's fish stick, or you know things like that. That's generally where ground fish shows up, right? It's actually a mix. So we, so we export uh, most of our product overseas. A lot of it comes back to the United States. So what U.S. consumers will see here is like in the, the frozen food section mm-hmm. at, uh, at at grocery stores, if it's you know, flounders or soles mm-hmm. or um, perch. Uh, those are all, th- or, or cod, those are all, um, you know, products I think that, you know, uh, people can see on a day-to-day basis. Um, recently, uh, shameless plug, but um, some of that flounder that we that we catch uh, is is now served at uh, at Popeyes as their Cajun flounder sandwich. No way! And it is good. Yeah. So um, so that that's a that's a new product for us. Um, you know we we don't we don't harvest pollock or, or, or we uh, um, that that's not our big focus. That's that's a different sector. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's um uh, and then some other products that are uh, a fish that we catch uh, aca mackerel and rockfish. Wow. I, I think last year when I was here, you guys cooked up some aca mackerel. Yeah, it's that was not delicious. Some, yeah, it's it's absolutely delicious. It's, it's not a big market in the U.S. It primarily goes to Japan, but the there are a few places here in town that carry it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you walked around the show, I've, I'm sure you have walked this show before. Uh, anything catch you as a new item out there in the fishing world? Oh, it's always changing. That, yeah. That's the amazing thing about this industry is it's 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 always evolving. There's always some you know new new product out there, whether you know whether it's a consumable product like you know food or, or just the equipment that's out there. It's always changing. It's very very dynamic, um, and, uh, and and you know we're again we're we're a part of that. Um, our, our fleet directly employs about 2,200 people on our boats mm-hmm. over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them are here from the Puget Sound region. A lot of them are probably your neighbors. And and so, um, yeah, again, this is uh, just, you know, we're, we're integral to this to this maritime community. And and uh, I'm, when, when you come here to the shows, you know, you see people that you haven't seen in a long time. And it's just, you know, and, and again, especially this COVID year thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody looks different now. You don't recognize <laughs> them with their masks on. Exactly. <laughs> I just think it's an amazing world. And you're right. The consumer in general do not know about this world. They don't hear about it very much. They just know it's in the freezer section. And right. if you start asking questions like, where is this fish coming from? What is this fish? You know, people don't really have always the answer. So I think it's very important, the work you guys have been doing about promoting it, about, you know, really try to explain to the consumer what's going on is extremely important. And it's not over, but as you know, probably, but 
um, it's definitely a step to make that is I think the number one step to make that successful mm-hmm. it's just because you know in the old days you had just the same right you can't eat just salmon and halibut you, correct yeah mm-hmm. yeah you cannot just do one single fishery right. it's extremely important that we understand in the ocean you know there is a lot of fishes right you know and, and some of them should not be touched because they take you know millions of years to reproduce so we don't touch those but some of them are very fluent and we don't have them on the market here right. in the United States as much as some other part of the world I mean you know some other part of the world mackerel and anchovies and sardines are number one fish mm-hmm. why it's in the millions and billions <laughs> it doesn't hurt when you take a whole you know you take a whole bunch of this out of the ocean it reproduces very fast it goes really quick so those are the kind of things and right. we need to educate the consumer about so well and, and going you know our previous guests talking about sustainability I mean th- that's one of the most important things about all Alaska fisheries and our and ours also fall into that category all, all of our pro- all of the fish that we harvest are, are certified as sustainable and well managed by the Marine Stewardship Council and by the responsible fishery management program and you you know like in particular the flatfish fisheries they are you know relatively an underutilized species that you know particularly here on the west coast on, on the east coast flounders and soles that's like a really big I grew deal up on right flounder, yeah. yeah but but on the west coast it's not so well known so there's there's definitely a regional dynamic to it and so we're always looking for opportunities to uh, you know promote those fish that in other parts of the world and in, in europe and again on the east coast i mean that you know that people are tripping over themselves yeah, for it but right. it's 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 different thanks for jumping by and ha- hanging out with us and uh, having uh, your you're back in the water yeah well thank you thanks for coming down here in supporting Alaska Seafood, and I uh, hope you have a good show. All right. Good. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you That's so big. much. Chris Woodley, Executive Director of the Ground Fish Forum. When we come back, we're going to talk about mashed potatoes when we come back, huh, Chef? Yeah, sweet potatoes specifically, right? Oh, you want to do sweet first or mashed potatoes? So we well, we're going to do both. Okay, we do both. We'll do both. All right. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. As you can hear, we're surrounded by the folks here at Pacific Marine Expo. You can hear all the sights and sounds and noises and the bits. Uh, there's a there's a table just to our left, Terry, that has got a grinding tool that they're trying to sell to every person in Seattle. <laughs> every time I hope they're successful because we hear it a lot. We hear it a lot here on the show. Um, we have lots of different uh, facets of the industry the seafood industry here today none really about the cooking like you and I do but right. this is more about the catching of the fish the sustainability uh, we haven't uh, yet talked a little bit about water yet and I, I teased you to tell you we're going to talk about mashed potatoes we have to wait one more segment sure. and we'll talk about mashed potatoes but Nathaniel Jensen uh, dropped by our little table here he just dived into a booth <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended uh, but. Nathaniel you're in this industry and have been for a long time it sounds like uh, yes, tell sir. us about what you do and what we should be thinking about when it comes to ocean acidification well I first moved here to the state of Washington back in 1985. Mm -hmm. My father served in the United States Navy aboard nuclear submarines there at Banger Base. So, oh my God, I, I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> I know. A long, that's a different story for yeah. a different time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we as kids growing up here in Belfair, Washington, uh, I fished all over the Hood Canal, Jefferson County, Clallam County, all along the Cascades of the Olympics. And I've come back and forth quite a few times. I'm basically a prodigal son of Washington State. Mm -hmm. Now I live in Duval, and I've worked 
all across the globe underwater. When I first came back to Washington State to work underwater, I first got a job working for Seattle Shellfish over in Shelton, Washington. Uh-huh. So I'm very knowledgeable about gooey duck harvesting. I was going to say, did you go down for gooey ducks at the Agate Pass? I, like I, there was a couple of days where I was buried waist deep, inverted, underwater, yeah. trying to get a gooey duck. Yeah. And one of the guys that I, that I used to dive with, his name's Joseph Zamudio, he used to tell me, you got to want it, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You got to want gotta it. I used to live on Agate Pass, and I'd watch those dive, dive yep. boats. Turns out they were all poachers. I didn't realize it at the well, time. Well, there's, there's a lot of problems with mm-hmm. our waterways here in the Puget Sound. I'm dealing with a few of them, and I actually have to go for a dive out in Union, Washington tomorrow. Uh, there's a boat that's overturned in Union, Washington, in the backyard of a gentleman by the name of Clark DeCoyer. He is a veteran, and these two vessels that are parked illegally are a problem. <laughs> I've done this kind of work all across the world in Oregon. You're a repo man in underwater. I, I do. I wear. I literally wear a lot of hats. There. So I. I do a lot of things. I just this morning was on a conference call with uh, Undersea Warriors, a nonprofit organization based out of Florida, mm-hmm. and they deal with post-traumatic stress disorder. Every one of our veterans that comes back from overseas deals with a lot of nightmares on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Uh, just last weekend, I was consoling a young man in Belfair, Washington, who has gone through divorce. Mm-hmm. And like many young men and women who serve our country to protect the freedoms that you and I get to enjoy on a daily basis. Sitting right. right here. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's right. Exactly. These colors run deep mm-hmm. <laughs> and deeper than the oceans I've dove in. Yeah. So, so earlier you were talking about the... Um you're now looking into the water of the Puget Sound? Correct. I work with uh, WASA, Washington Scuba Alliance, along with underwater enthusiasts of the Pacific Northwest, the Northwest Straits Commission, the Puget Sound Restoration Fund, Northwest Straits Commission. I was just in a webinar the other day with the Friday Harbor Labs up in the San Juans. Um, I routinely consult Tom Mumford. Mm-hmm. He's out of Olympia. He's been doing kelp research and macroalgies since the 70s. He's for gotten more about kelp than I know. Wasn't he working on the, the shrimp the issue? Yeah. The, he's, the been doing, he's been doing a lot of stuff. Over mm-hmm. in Thailand, I was talking to a friend of mine in Chiang Mai. Uh, he's another person I met in the Gulf of Mexico, and he runs a Pilates studio right now, but I'm talking to him about possibly getting into the shrimp industry mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. Aquaculture as a whole, on the whole globe, is exploding. Mm-hmm. Currently in the state of Washington, you cannot harvest kelp for commercial purposes. That has to change. Mm-hmm. It is literally a hundred plus billion dollar industry in the globe mm-hmm. because the way the law now stands, you can't harvest it for commercial purposes. There's one company here in the state of Washington that does it for ecological purposes. There are many products you can make with kelp. Yeah. Tell us about the acidification issue, and because uh, I, I hear a lot about that with the oyster business, and it, it is it's, it's making crab shells weaker and oyster shells yes. weaker, and ocean acidification, if it reaches a certain level, will melt everything in the ocean. Mm-hmm. That includes invertebrate species, crustaceans, mollusks, macroalgaes. Everything dies, and it's game over. Mm-hmm. And it's just that serious. Mm -hmm. As much as I appreciate Governor Inslee and all that he's trying to do to represent the state of Washington as the champion of ocean acidification in Glasgow, 
his intentions are good, his strategies are not. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I would love to talk with the people who are consulting that man. Yeah, because you know he he's, develop- a- he's developing a couple of problems with the legislation he's, pre- he's going to be trying to pass in the coming year. I've been working with various people in infrastructure, the maritime industry, culinary industry, educational outreach. Mm-hmm. I do a lot. Some people burn the candle on both ends. I take a flamethrower to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, what can the average consumer do at this point uh, when it comes to that well, certification issue? Because it feels, you feel a little bit helpless about it. So. Well, it can be. And, and that's just it. The first thing about learning about these types of problems is doing just that, mm-hmm. learning. Right. So there are various groups. I'm part of them. There are many others like me in the fact that they want to foster ecological products. The Blue Revolution is an international reality. Mm-hmm. These are things that we can do as consumers try to support businesses that deal with those types of products. Mm-hmm. Do the research. Yeah. Actually spend some time besides looking at your cell phone and updating your Facebook status. Since you have the mic, any place to start at that people can go to? Oh, <laughs> just one little. Place I'm on. To go to I'm stuff. on all social media. I know, no, but just just a website that people. Yeah, can just go a to. website so people can. Well, educate, I would I would education. start with uh, greenwave.org. Greenwave. They're on the East Coast. Um, Tom Mumford's website is, uh, I think, something ag- mag- or agronomics.com, something like that. Hmm. There's just just Google ocean acidification. And there you, you will find a plethora of knowledge to behold. Mm-hmm. The ocean of people who are trying to make positive change is just that, an ocean mm-hmm. of people. And if you're willing to dive into it like me and many others, the rewards are boundless. Okay. All right, Nathaniel Jensen dropped in. He's a diver. He just dove right into our show <laughs> right here at the Pacific <laughs> Marine Expo. Thanks for your time. Some yeah, thank you so much. Topics. Hey, thank you thank for coming you guys by. For, thank you guys for giving me a few seconds. All right. No problem. Pleasure. Keep up the good work. Uh, I try and, and every try day. try to get some other people to help you. I am <laughs> doing just that every day. I'm recruiting cool. an army. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Cheers. 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 When we come back, now we're going to talk about mashed potatoes. From that weighty subject to mashed potatoes and for your Thanksgiving table on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society show right here at the Pacific Marine Expo. If you can hear all the noise behind us, people are having a good time. They're excited to be back together. You know, they skipped this show last year. We've done it for maybe 10 years in a row, I want to say, and got it skipped last year. I don't know why. Could have been a pandemic. I'm not sure. Yeah, it could have been. But um, we're happy to be back and enjoying here it, down here at the Stadium District, I would call this. It's... Um, Lumensfield. Lumensfield. I know, but Safeco is it's not even true, Safeco that's anymore. True, that's true. It's not T-Mobile. It's a T-Mobile Park now. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with those things. I know. Uh, I was just happened to be reading yesterday. There was naming rights just sold to the Staples Center in L.A. Oh, what is it now? Uh, some Bitcoin type thing. Uh, $700 million for the oh, naming rights. Oh, my God. $700 million. Well, we could definitely help. Uh, just for those of you listening, um, the naming rights for my restaurants are available. <laughs> and if Actually, you, the chef in the hat is for sale. The chef in the hat is for sale. 
<laughs> just uh, you just let me know. Just come uh, up with a price. Bring we, the we checkbook talk. and let's do this. <laughs> Mashed potatoes, chef. Yes. Uh, everyone knows that you put the potatoes in, you know, on the stove. You a lot of people boil them. I try to steam them more. To, I try to use as little moisture as possible. Correct. Uh, and then, where do we go from here? Well, for me, the most important part of a mashed potato is to try to never get it to cool off after it's made. You know, just to avoid having to rewarm it up, and then you get a completely different texture on the potato after that. So I like to keep it fresh. So when I make the mashed potato, for example, for Thanksgiving... That wasn't where I was expecting you to go, Chef. Oh, I'm sorry. We still got potatoes in a pan. We haven't got to the cool-off stage. Well... You know we're gonna have to make we're gonna have to make the next. Do stage. we add anything to our potatoes? Oh, do we do? I mean, to uh, me, it's a reduction. What's your process? A reduction of cream. You reduce the cream. I reduce the cream just to make it by even, half, even thicker. Yeah, by half. Okay. And then I take a pound of butter. Oh, I mean, actually, I, depends how much potato I have. Okay, let's, let's say, say I have three pound of potato. Okay. Three pound of potato. I use a pound and a half of butter. You do not. Fifty percent of butter. Fifty. <laughs> yeah, just butter, salt, a little. The reason I put and the reduced re- cream. The reason I put the reduced cream is so it's holding the butter so it doesn't break. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would imagine <laughs> you're but not making it. hollandaise here. You're making mashed potatoes, <laughs> I, and that's what I make. Okay. You know what? I have never had any complaint about my mashed potato. Has anyone ever left the table? Yes, <laughs> and the mashed potato never sustained. I mean, it's gone. Okay. All right. It's nice to your lips when you eat the mashed potatoes. Okay, potato. so we've got the potatoes. They're, they're either boiled or steamed. Correct. I prefer steamed because I try not to wash out all the I'm flavor of the potato. Absolutely. Okay. N- yellow now, fin. I use yellow fin. Okay, so now they're in the mixer. They're in, they're yep. in your KitchenAid. So, wait, wait. I whoa, break. Whoa, whoa. Hold on. They're broken down. My potatoes are either, after they're steamed, you know, you peel them off and then you break them down. You in. peel your potatoes after you steam them. Oh, okay. Before, how about that? Before, okay, I'm just asking. And then you break them into f- into four or six pieces. You cut them in four or six pieces. Okay. Nice potato. You put them in a steamer. Then when you put them in the mixer, you do not want to overmix your potato. It's extremely important. So I take all my butter that's already cubed in small cube in the freezer. I take it out of the freezer. I drop it into the mashed potato. I put the, the reduced wait, cream. Wait, 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 wait. You just said you don't want to cool off your mashed potatoes. I know, I know, I know, I know what I said. Frozen butter in there. I know what I said. Yes, you're gonna you're gonna understand why. Then I pour the cream over. That's reduced cream. That's hot. I pour that over, and then I mix over the butter. Over the butter, and then I mix really fast for just like ten seconds, and then I'm done. Because after that, it's gonna get a little bit gooey, and it's gonna get the the potatoes gonna exp- you know start to be rubbery or. Um, yeah, rubbery. I guess that's the word for it. Uh-huh. So you just want to make sure you don't overmix it. Salt, pepper, we're done. That's it. So you don't rice your potatoes at all? Well, if I was making only a pound or, or, or so, I would rice it with my ricer. But mm-hmm. uh, when I do three, four, five pounds, I just put it in the mixer. But in, again, in the mixer, the secret, I use the whisk. I need to make sure you don't use over. the whisk. I use the whisk because I use the paddle. Yeah. No, I use the whisk because the whisk will definitely smash it really well. Uh-huh. And it's also it goes you know when you go really fast because I go I really literally go really fast for about you count to ten at the most and it's done. So it's not over whip, but it's incorporated. 
You know, uh, if you read Joel Robichon's book about his famous potatoes, he mixes them a million times. I know many, what he does. Many revolutions I know. of the mixer. I know what he does. Well, you just said personally that I, you, that's what, you, you don't want to overmix Tom, it. And you so asked me how to make my potatoes. If I wanted know to make Joel Robuchon, I'd look in his book and tell you exactly the recipe from Joel Robuchon. I'm not making Joel Robuchon. I'm making Terry's potato. But uh, well, I guess the point I'm saying is that you're not going to wreck your by your potatoes by overmixing them. Well, you, you know suggested what? that it could you be. You know a, what? I'm suggesting that because I've had, I've had overmixed potato. And they were like, you know, looking like a. I mean, we have a listener. Look, she's a. See, see. That's she's if a, you put them in the robo. If you put them in the no, food no, no, processor. No, 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 no. If you put them in the mixer and you just don't pay attention. Are you calling Joel Robichon's potatoes stringy? Wait a minute. Where did we go from me to Joel Robichon well, in the first place? He is famous for his. Tom, buttery how do you make potatoes. mashed potato? How do I? Oh, let's get. Let's, let's go over your that. turn. Let's talk let's about see, that. Let's see where we can get something out of that. You better be right. <laughs> I leave the skins on. Okay. Because I like a smashed potato. Okay, that's cool. So uh, I, I leave the skins on, and I instead of cooking them in water and then draining the water off, I'll take the cream that I'm going to add to them, and I'll kind of cook them slowly in the cream mm. and, uh, and add no more water. But you can't put more cream in than you need, or else they'll be watery potatoes. Correct. Right? Correct. And then uh, I stir in horseradish, butter, sour cream, cheese, and duck fat. <laughs> so five kinds of fat potatoes. Uh, Joel Robuchon is probably turning in his grave right but now. But <laughs> on a percentage, if I had three pounds of potatoes, I would have no more in total fat, cream, and, and so cream, fat, everything together, I would have no more than a pound for really? three pounds of potatoes. Yeah, Because I actually was trying to have potatoes and not just <laughs> butter. butter. You know what? <laughs> you know what? You cannot convince me it's a bad idea. I don't care. So here's the other thing. I think you and I both agree on this. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just no, saying, no. oh, my God. Yes. How do you, where do you have room for gravy and, and stuffing if we you're going to eat gravy, that much we butter? We do sauce. <laughs> so we make, you and we I make both agree that lighter. if you were to take those three pounds of potatoes and leave a pound in your refrigerator. Correct. And add a pound of celery root. Right. That you would have a much more aromatic, much more delicious Yeah, you would have mash. a different flavor. You would have a different think, flavor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know Absolutely. That. You'd have more but flavor, I think actually. more flavor. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's all I'm trying to say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that celery flavor would come through. And then, you know, another thing is we're starting to get into the frosty night. You go in your backyard, and if you have a lavage plant, which I do, take a bunch of leaves of lavage and put that into your cooking of your celery root. Uh-huh. And then remove them before you blend it because you don't Yeah, they're blend strong. It. Yeah, they're very strong. But they do extract the flavor. So you put those branches in your mashed potato with your celery root, and um, you remove them before blending. Mm-hmm. It's really delicious, and it's accentuated flavor of yep. celery. So now you, now you have a different mash. I'm glad you mentioned persimmons because I'm going to send Pamela. Maybe, you can, Pam, you can put this on our f- Facebook page or our Instagram. Uh, we All the leaves are off the trees now over right. in our orchard at the farm. But just like the first time I drove around France in the fall, I never realized persimmons kind of stay on till the very last second. So we have a picture now of our persimmon tree with all the persimmons hanging there, but no leaves. It is such a pretty... In the eastern Washington. Yeah, over at, at Prosser Farm. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. here on this side, I don't think persimmon do, do that well. 
I have. Uh, we have a quince, and I don't think I have a persimmon in my. No, yet. quince, quince no, and but, fig. Yeah. yeah. Queens do uh, but anyway, so it's just such a beautiful yeah, photo, and uh, I'd love to show it to our listeners if just they want. Just so you know, I brought back, uh, I was at my mother-in-law, and she has persimmon in her front yard in California, in LA. Right. And, Wait uh, a minute, you brought pomegranates, you brought lemons, and now you brought persimmons <laughs> back? Don't remind everybody. <laughs> it's okay, it was good the first time, and not the second time. Um, anyway, I took all the, the persimmons, were absolutely fabulous. They came from, they came from, actually those were not from my mother-in-law, they came from my sister-in-law's mother's front yard who lives in LA you know what they call that Terry what TMI oh, okay anyway I just wanted to be specific because she deserves the credit the persimmons were California persimmon overripe you know that yeah they and I, I took them all out of all, all the meat out of there and I brought it back in quart container I have two quarts container of gorgeous overripe persimmon puree yeah I'm going to make a cake with that Ah, I think I'm going to bring some to the show. Our friend Peggy Dow makes the most beautiful steamed, uh, is there steamed or baked? Steamed. Steamed persimmon pudding every year for Christmas Eve. I need to ask her for the recipe. Yeah, it's good. And she makes a little hard sauce out of pear brandy and That's butter. That's exactly and what I was yeah. going to do, is to make like a, yeah. like a hot creme oh, anglaise. There's our friend. It must be time to say goodbye. <laughs> Uh, he's back on the grinding machine over there. Okay, when we come back, we're going to wrap the show up, not with Tasty Trivia, but our our uh, last segment will still be brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs, but it's going to be Sweet Potatoes on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Yes, Siri, this is the last segment of today's Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Thanks for hanging with us. For two hours here at Pacific Marine Expo, Pamela has been here. Sean, technically advanced man that he is, is here. Uh, chef in the chapeau. It's been oui. fun hanging with you out outdoors, Absolutely. sir. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, sweet potatoes, but first we're going to talk to you about them being brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs. Now's the time to get your turkey rub in your local grocery store or at TomDouglas.com or down there in the market. You know, we have all of our rubs at the Rub Shack. In the Pike Place Market area, absolutely. I'm not allowed to say the market, you know, like the Pike Place. Well, market. you go shopping I'm in the at, area. You go shopping at Pike Place, then you go up north, and then you know the, the next north block, end of Pike Place. The next block, you're in your restaurant. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, if you want to. Uh, when I was working with Trey Lamont uh, doing some videos for his new jerk spice that we're selling all over the country uh-huh. under the Rub With Love brand, he made jerk spice sweet potatoes. Mm. And of all the things we made that day, that was. You know, in my mind, I'd think, well, jerk spice. It's going to taste like jerk spice on chicken. It's going to taste like jerk spice on sweet potatoes. It's going to taste like jerk spice on cod, if you put it on cod. And it really does change with each of the items right, underneath right. of it in a fun way. But it changed most to me with the sweet potatoes because it's a very spicy rub. And the sweet potatoes are very sweet once they're roasted. You know, right. They come out like candy. And so that hot, spicy jerk spice on top of the... Uh, kind of hard roasted sweet potatoes caramelized sweet potatoes it was magical it was yeah. really a delicious combination so. yeah, I'm a big fan of baked sweet potato uh-huh. with um, creme fraiche only be, uh, not because I'm French but because of that sourness that's on top of the uh, on top of the sweet potato uh-huh. it really really combines really well you know it's, like you said very sweet with sour is I think a great match in heaven I mean it's an easy one chopped chives everywhere mm-hmm. which brings another little bite to it um, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, lemon you know you see you take a lemon and you just grate it right over your mashed potato your uh, your sweet potato mm-hmm. and that's also I think a nice perkiness to the 
to the dish. So do you make your baked sweet potatoes the same way you do a regular no, 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 no. baked potatoes? I'm a, what I love about sweet potatoes, is to me, sweet potato is the kind of mash you make eating a vegetable and a mashed potato at the same time. That's what I think about it when I'm doing that. It's full of beautiful beautifulness. You come home, you take the sweet, the sweet potato, you rinse it off, put it in the oven... And, uh, you don't poke it, it with a fork or anything? Nothing. I just put it in the oven, mm -hmm. 350 degrees, usually 30, 40 minutes. I can prep dinner during that time. By the time I'm done with dinner, the potato comes out of the oven. We sit down, cut it in half, and then here comes the creme fraiche and, and the party. Do you eat skin or not? Oh, yeah. I eat everything on the sweet okay, potato. Okay, me too. I mean, the sweet potato skin is so thin. And it's also part of I, I think to me that's part of it. You know, it's part of the vegetable. Um, no problem eating the skin there. Pamela, you are a sweet potato nut because you love every dinner, every meal to have the rainbow on the plate. And a sweet potato is an easy orange for the rainbow. So uh, what's your favorite way? I've been slicing it. So uh, instead of whole, I, I, I love the discs. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And both sides with your Chinese 12 spice. It's my very favorite was sweet potato. Really? And... Uh, as usual, high heat, butter-oil combo, so it gets that crispy edge and nice, mm. nice and mm -hmm. creamy inside. And, you yes. know, if you have your grill going, they grill beautifully that way. Those right. discs grill beautifully, yeah. and they cook really fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's that's one what thing I about, like about the yeah. discs yeah, going Yeah, it's one thing faster. about sweet potato. It's not a potato. I mean, potato would never cook like that, uh, that fast and everything. It, it, it's cooked faster than a potato, and because of the sugar content, it's really nice and caramelized. Mm -hmm. You can add it to a salad. You can do so many different things with it. Smoked salmon, once after it's grilled, if you put lemon squeeze on top of the sweet potato, uh, now you get a sweet yes. and sour, and then you put smoked salmon on top of that. It's really good. And uh, when I say smoke, I don't mean hot smoke. I mean cold smoke. I mean uh -huh. cured salmon. It's really delicious. Well, um, you know, if you take... A lot of people have those little... I bought mine at the fair, those little V slicers, they call them. <laughs> yeah. And they have a julienne thing, and you can make uh -huh. little matchsticks. Uh, sweet potatoes matchstick up great. Oh, yeah. So you could just, if you want, you can just drop those in a deep fryer situation and uh, have little sweet potato uh, crisp, you know, little like matchstick yeah, crisp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you can take that matchstick grated sweet potato, put it into a, you know, I toss it with a little bit of sesame oil, salt, pepper. And uh, any sort of spice, smoked paprika, any, any sort of spice. Put it into a saute pan super about hot. a quarter inch thick. Not super out because no. you, you burn the outside before you cook the inside if right. you go too hot. But you just are making a potato pancake basically out oh, of yeah. the shredded uh, sweet potato. And if you go too thick, then they, it wants to become mashed potatoes in the center. Right. So you have to keep it thin enough that it stays a little bit lacy. Not unlike latkes. You want latkes to kind of be spread out enough that they stay lacy and crispy around the edges. And the same thing happens with the sweet potato. But I love it with the sesame oil. And uh, sweet potato gratin, easy to make. Easy. To, I mean, this is like a, a gimme. And you don't have to put as much cream uh, in your gratin. Just a little bit of cheese. But well, very because they're crease. watery, you mean? No, because they already the, the the thickness of the sweet potato is different. So when it's cooked, you just press a little bit on your gratin. So wait, wait, wait. go back one step for me. Slice. Are you slicing them how thick? Uh, quarter inch. Quarter inch. And then you put them on a, in a buttered Pyrex pan. You just at an them, angle or on no, top of each other. No, let them on flat. Okay. And then put seasoning in between the layers. A little bit of cheese in between the layers, and then you put a little bit of reduced cream on top of the dish. And you put that in the oven, and you bake it for a good 35, 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you have this gratin. 
And what the mashed potato does, what the uh, sweet potato does is it mashes nicely. So when it comes out of the oven, you press with a big spatula, you press gently mm. on, the, on the gratin, and it will basically becomes, becomes a one-piece thing. So when it's cold the next day, you can just cut square and rewarm that in the oven very easily. Use it for many different things. Mm. Also, a great thickener, um, sweet potato, baked sweet potato, is a great ah. thickener for a soup. You know, you yeah. take chicken stock, you put that just in. Just like butternut or something like yeah, that. It's yeah, it's a great base and it's a great thickener for a soup. So you can use that for the next day. I make them just like JoJo's too, where I toss them in duck fat and roast them in the oven, little wedges. And I eat, uh, last week I spiralized one and made a, a parsley raisin pesto for it. Wow. So did you cook the sweet potato at yeah, all? Yeah, you needed to. A little bit. Just a blanch uh, cast and hot water. No, cast iron, oil, uh-huh. and then a green sauce. That yeah, was, that, no, was, that sounds delicious. Yeah, it was wonderful. Well, that's almost a rainbow right there. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> What's for uh, blue? Oh, you're serving curacao? <laughs> I was putting together a class. We're going to do a... a um, Filet mignon class uh, at the hot stove for Christmas. When is that class? It's not posted yet, I don't think. No. Anyway, we were talking about what different preparations of filet mignon we should have on there. And this is how far my friend Pamela has come (laughs) from her hippie days as a vegetarian restaurant manager. I said, let's do tornadoes and let's do, uh, what else did I like, a Wellington or something, and let's do this or that. And she says, how about raw? <laughs> I said, like steak tartare? I've grown up. Oh, my what? God. That's, it was like the most amazing thing. Would you try it? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. yes. Listen to that. Especially with some capers, lots of lemon. I'm in. Do you as long do as it egg? doesn't taste like raw meat. Do you do the raw eggs and the yolk? No. Oh, no. No. No? No. <laughs> Ah, okay. Oh, well, and, um, next year, next year. Terry, Terry, we have him on the calendar for his crepe class, too. Oh, do you? December 4th. Oh, yeah. December 4th, Saturday morning. It's going to be fantastic. If you're bored at home, we'd like to invite you to the Hot Stove Society um, cooking school. So how do they book again? Hotstove.com, sweet and savory crepes, December 4th. There we go. We'll have a lot right. of fun. I might even come to that class. <laughs> Although I'm not going to buy a ticket. I'm going to sneak in the back door. Okay, you can sneak in. You you know, thank you for joining us today at Pacific Marine Expo. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and we are thrilled that um, you are consistent listeners of our show, whether it's in a podcast or terrestrial or, or whatever. However you listen to us, we appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much for hanging with us during Seafood 101 month, all of October, and now we cap it right. off with this. Chef and the Chapeau, great to see you. Likewise, Mr. Douglas. Thanks to our production team here, and to uh, Sean Del Torre back in the Cairo studios for our editing. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Have a wonderful weekend, and happy Thanksgiving!